Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. Before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore in the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the birth of outlaw country music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the outlaw country music movement and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision and her tiny living room, far from Nashville's Music Row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash the boar's nest. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Pushkin. Just a quick note here. You can listen to all of the music mentioned in this episode on our playlist, which you can find a link to in the show notes. For licensing reasons, each time a song is referenced in this episode, you'll hear this sound effect. All right, enjoy the episode. I thought, this is it, man, Los Angeles. Yeah. Quincy says, you know, I'd rather live in Los Angeles than heaven. <laughs> <laughs> That's T-Bone Burnett in conversation with my broken record partner, Rick Rubin. We took a hilarious picture of Rick and T-Bone after they taped this interview. Rick is in a t-shirt and shorts, naturally. T-Bone towers over him, dressed impeccably in a white shirt and a black suit, like some old-school blues player. I think of T-Bone as Rick's spiritual godfather. He's a generation older, in his early 70s, but he's had the same kind of extraordinary behind-the-scenes influence on the music we all listen to. T-Bone is probably most famous for helping launch the careers of artists like Los Lobos, Counting Crows, and Gillian Welch. Also for producing albums by Brandy Carlisle, Elton John, and the masterfully executed Raising Sand collaboration between Alison Krauss and Robert Plant. Oh, he also produced and performed on my favorite Elvis Costello record of all time, King of America. Then there's his film and TV credits, which are insane. He partnered with the Coen brothers as music supervisor on The Big Lebowski. He worked on Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, Walk the Line, Crazy Heart, Jew Detective, the list goes on. There's a new record out called The Invisible Light Acoustic Space, available wherever you get your music. It's the first in a series of records T-Bone will be putting out this year, an incredible outpouring of songs coming out of a play he's providing the music for. 
I only met him once, years and years ago, at what was the most star-studded dinner party I've ever attended. It was in L.A. I got invited by accident. It was wall-to-wall movie stars and T-Bone Burnett. And the only person I wanted to listen to was T-Bone Burnett. You're about to understand how I felt. I'm Malcolm Gladwell. This is Broken Record. And I'm heartbroken I didn't get to join in on this conversation. Here in conversation at Shangri-La Studios in Malibu, Rick Rubin and T-Bone Burnett. Are you always writing songs? No, you know, I took a job about three years ago. I, I uh, Marshall Brickman. Do you know Marshall Brickman? Yeah. An incredible character. He was one of the original folkies in New York City. And, I didn't know that. I Greenwich. only know him as a, as a, as a writer. Well, in, in, the, in the 50s, he was one of the cats in Washington Square Park. And he played on Judy Collins records. He played. He was a session musician. He played all the. He played banjo and fiddle and guitar mm. and mandolin. He was the guitar player on dueling banjos for wow. Deliverance. And by the time he was twenty three, he was the head writer on the Johnny Carson Tonight Show. <laughs> and then he invented the Dick Cavett Show. And then he wrote those movies with Woody Allen yeah. that you would know, the yeah. Annie Hall and Manhattan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he wrote Jersey Boys, which is a Amazing. Yeah, you know, so he's he's transitioned into theater, and he called me up and he said, do you want to write a musical about the people who played Roy Rogers and Dale Evans? And do you remember them at all? Yeah. So Roy Rogers was, for my generation, the biggest star in the world. You know, all through the 50s, he had a television show. Mm. And it was a, an interesting idea. He's in the Country Music Hall of Fame because he's a great, he was a fantastic singer. But... I always thought he was Roy Rogers, and I always thought Dale Evans was Dale Evans, but they were two actors. I didn't know that. Yeah, nobody knows yeah. that. So this is a story about the people who played them. and So um, they were like the monkeys? <laughs> yeah, a little bit, yeah. Except she wrote Happy Trails. She was a great songwriter, wow. and he was a great singer. But they were cast. Yeah, into those parts. Yeah. And the whole character was a made-up character. Yeah, the whole character was a made-up character. unbelievable. And I, I brought a song to play for you. Do you want to play me the song? Yeah. I'm excited to yeah, hear the song. Yeah. That's a nice, nice yeah, yeah, yeah. Where will that, song. Where will that fall into the story? I don't know. I think it's early on when he's... Uh, I think he's maybe auditioning for a radio show or something. He sings that song. Mm. But yeah, I think it's in the first act. Great. Yeah. Really good. Thank you. Do you have to write, are you at a point now where you you know sort of where the songs fit and is there ever a calling to like say, okay, in the end of the second act, we need to add a song in this spot and Mm -hmm. this is what it needs to accomplish in the story? Yeah. In fact, I just wrote, we did a 20, they call it a 29 hour reading, which is you get all the actors up on their feet and they read the parts and, um, you sort of, you do it without costumes or without sets, but you get the you get the gist of it, the tempo of the yes. thing. And I realized after the last one that there, I didn't have a beginning song for Roy and I didn't have an ending song for Dale. So I went back and I did that. I wrote a I wrote a, a good song called Out of Nowhere for Roy to start off with. So you meet him in strength, and then Dale needed a, so- a song at the end of a, a heavy 
duty yeah. number at the yeah. end. So yeah, and I'm sure uh, we're gonna we're gonna open it in in Atlanta in 2020 in the fall of 2020, and I'm sure once we get into the process of really getting it up and getting it in front of audiences, there'll be a lot more changes to come. Yeah, yeah. beautiful. I love the um, the peace and surrender line. It's really good. Yeah, it's really right. good. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. yeah, and I love the tagline. The hook line is great. Yeah, everybody wants to live forever, yeah, but nobody wants to get old. So you know? good. <laughs> so good. But when I accepted this commission, you know, to to write these songs for a musical, and I'd done a lot of work with Sam Shepard. He and I'd done a lot of things for plays, and but a musical's different because every line has to be intentional. You know, you can't write just a, a cool sounding. Yeah, it's, you, it's narrative. Yeah, it is narrative. And and it became uh it was it, it sobered me up quite a bit and I started read I read Sondheim's books and I started studying Frank Lesser who I think was the greatest of all the the Broadway composers and Lerner and Lowe and all these cats. And it became clear that I was going to have to dance or get off the floor. Yeah. So I started waking up every morning at four in the morning for about a year, solid, and writing when it was quiet. And then when I got through writing the 20 songs for the musical, I, I couldn't stop writing. So I, I've, I've written now, I don't know how many, I've, we've recorded about two hours of music. Fantastic. They were going to start putting out at April 12th. Is the process of writing a song for a musical different than writing a song otherwise? Yeah, it is because yeah, because it does have to move the story along. But um, but but do you start with the music first, or do you start with the lyrics? I started with the lyrics because it's as you say, it's part of the book. It's yeah. part of the narrative. So you'd write it like a poem, basically. Yeah. Would you have a melody in your head? Yeah, yeah, you know, melody is really just codified inflection. So you're it's your storytelling no matter what. Mm-hmm. So the every sentence has a certain melody to it. Mm-hmm. And I was uh, so I was doing that. I was writing, but I would have a sense of the melody as it was going down. And then, you know, I wrote uh I've, we're putting out we're starting to put out records. I'm putting out three double records in the next year, this year. Wow. I'm going to kind of work hip-hop, because I see these cats, they just put stuff out constantly. Yeah. So uh, we've recorded a, a lot of these tunes that have come afterward. Yes. I stopped. I really stopped producing other people for the most part, although... Interesting. I just made a record with Sarah Bareilles that's really beautiful. I'd love to hear that. She's a beautiful singer. Unbelievable. And um, she's also gone through the experience of writing a play. She wrote a musical of Waitress, and it raised the stakes for her too. Her writing has become much more resonant, and deeper, and higher. It's interesting to hear her growth through the process. Mm-hmm. How is the collaboration with her different than her other records? Would you say we did it more live, mm-hmm. which is what I mostly do. It's, yeah. That's the thing I like most. The thing I love about making records is when people are playing and singing all at one time, it's and you best. get they get finished and you say yeah that's great you know it's such a great feeling it's such a uh there's something about people playing together that no amount of getting it right yeah counters the energy of 
the interaction That's of people right. really playing. Yeah, perfection is a second-rate idea. For sure. And the computer is able to put out perfect music yes. all day long, but it's not nearly as interesting. It's like those Johnny Cash records you made with him just sitting in a room with some people, mm-hmm. turning them on to a song, mm-hmm. you know, and turning the whole then turning the whole world on to the song the same yeah. way. Yeah. So that's that's the process I like the most, and I think the band was great. She, you know, it was the same, essentially the same band that was on Raising Sand. Jay oh, Bellarose played drums, great. and Dennis Crouch played string bass, and Rebo played guitar. I love that album so much. That Raising Sand, record. I love it. Isn't that a beautiful it's record? So beautiful. Yeah, it really took me by surprise. Yeah, I, I don't know why I wasn't expecting it to be so beautiful and just. Blew my mind. Well, you know, both the both of them have mystical, beautiful yeah. voices. Yes, and and it was interesting to hear him soften up. Yeah, but on paper, it wasn't necessarily a must listen thing. Yeah, right. And then hearing it, it was mind blowing. Yeah. I also didn't. I didn't know most of those songs, so I, so I didn't know that they weren't original songs. Yeah, so they were original for most people. Yes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it's got some of that same. Beautiful. Sarah's record has Beautiful. some of that same. How did that one come together? Robert and Allison? Yes. Really, I think Bill Flanagan, you know Flanagan, yeah, yeah, don't yeah. you? Uh, Flanagan was doing that show, Crossroads, mm-hmm. and I think he wanted to do a Crossroads with uh, with Robert and Allison, and it ended up being a record, and then we did a Crossroads later, yeah, but yeah. I think they met... Uh, from that idea of Flanagan pitching them on doing it, they met and they did a, they did a tribute to Lead Belly or some or somebody up in up in Cleveland, I think, and they enjoyed it. And then they called me up and said, "Do you want to do you want to make a record?" And I sent them those two Gene Clark songs. Those are the first two things I sent them yeah. through the morning, through the night, and Polly, yeah. which I thought had those that. Gene had that dark, mystical vibe that they both have. You know, it's interesting now to to hear Robert sing low and soft like that, yeah. and go back and listen to Led Zeppelin. It's so beautiful. Yeah. It really showed another side, and yeah. it felt like a side that, that just the timing of it was right for him. You know, yeah. like to to hear him sound like that was a revelation. Yeah, well, he, he sounded like a grown man. Yeah, made sense when before. I mean, he, he says himself that his the early Led Zeppelin records, he sounded like a castrato or something. Yeah. You know, he was singing so high. Yeah, and. I, and imagine that when he sings like that now, it's more like he's imitating the old hymn, yeah. whereas Raising Sand sounds like more believable now. Yeah, yeah I don't. Th- I I really don't think he could sing those songs. He couldn't sing them in the range he used to sing them in. You know, same with Elton. You know, Elton's voice has dropped a good octave or something yeah. like that, and he's got this beautiful, deep, resonant baritone now. And you, you listen to some of the old records; he sounds like he's on helium or yeah. something after, after getting used to his voice now and yes. and loving it, and going back and hearing them. Not that they aren't absolutely classic and great. Was, same for Zeppelin. Was there any reason you didn't do a second one with? A follow-up to Raising Sand. I don't know. I think we may. So I think we may do one I, one I of would, these days. I would love that. Maybe we should do one. Great. Maybe we should I'm do down. it together. Let's do it. it uh, it's such a beautiful album. Yeah, I th- I would love to do do one again. We we went in and recorded some songs, and 
having been through all the success, so to speak, yeah. the, the stakes seemed different when we went on the, in the second time. Understood. And it didn't feel, I don't think any of us felt the same kind of freedom that we had it's felt so the first interesting. time. Isn't it interesting how, how the stakes changed the whole process? Yeah. Yeah. So, but but I think now it's been long enough, so we probably sure. could go yeah. in and just Square play, <laughs> just play. You know, yeah. that'd be great. You have ideas of songs? I hadn't thought about it that much. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, I've I've just there just been rumblings about about it. So we'll see mm-hmm. we'll see where it goes. Have you done any other collaborations like that where it's been two artists who don't normally work together? I don't think I have. Mm-hmm. Have you done that? Hmm. I, I can't remember. I've done. I've done quite a few. You know, the Rolling Thunder Review, which was yes. this studio was part of that whole time. Yes, that was a beautiful experiment, and it was a master class in art and show business. I mean, there was every Allen Ginsberg and Ann Waldman were there. Sam Shepard was there. There were incredible musicians. Joni Mitchell was there. John Baez. Yeah. And Howie Wyeth and David Mansfield, one great musician after another, Mick Ronson. Yeah. From, and people Why from realize all, Mick Ronson was part of it? Yeah, right. people from all different parts of the world and yeah. different disciplines and different places. But everybody came together and collaborated, and it was, a, it was a, a tremendous learning experience that I've replicated or tried to replicate several times with, like, the Roy Orbison Black and White Night Show. And, that was incredible, too. And, yeah, that was a beautiful incredible. evening. Incredible. And uh, it, it, I saw it the other day. I was watching it, and Leonard Cohen was in the audience. I'd forgotten that. I think that idea of, like, Aerosmith and Run DMC, did you have oh, anything yeah. to do with that? <laughs> I suppose so. I suppose so. I for, yeah, I, I forgot. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to think. You know what I mean? It's hard to think about projects. Yeah, I know like, exactly. It's all just sort of. It's, it's hard to even look back at all. For sure, and I, I rarely do. Yeah, me too. Yeah. But, uh, but that was certainly one of those that changed everything. Yeah, and People the Beastie Boys changed. Yeah. You know, this, them doing "I'm Down." Yeah, did you ever hear that? Oh yeah, because it I never came it? out. It never came out. It properly. never did. No, no, no. We couldn't get permission. It was supposed to be on that first album, License to Ill. It might have been the last thing we recorded for it. We couldn't get permission, and uh, it, it never came out. But I think it's on like YouTube or somewhere. I, I heard it. Steve Robofsky played oh, yeah, it for yeah, yeah. me. When it just when then, it, yes, because yeah, he was then. our A and R guy. Yeah, yeah, and it was. It, I'm really D, you know. <laughs> Fully D, fully D. I'm fully I'm D. I'm fully yeah. D. I remember. That's that. right. Yeah. Yeah. So funny. So funny, man. Yeah. They were cu- they were cutting up. Yeah, I did that. Uh, I did the guitar solo and the organ solo. Neither are instruments that I really play, and it really shows. You know, it's like uh... <laughs> when we come back, T Bone premieres another brand new song for us. But first, we pay the bills. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch, Subject to credit approval, terms apply. Hello, hello. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. 
Let me tell you an unconventional story about a healthcare group that wanted to improve their efficiency. Boston Children's Hospital. They were already a leading pediatric facility. Their patient outcomes, workflows, and delivery of care were already great. But they wondered, how can we make it better? So the hospital got to work. Their idea was to build what they called clinical mobility, meaning a system which would allow their staff to access information and interact with patients on mobile devices anywhere in the hospital. And what made that possible? 5G. The hospital rebuilt their entire system with 5G technology at its core. That infrastructure now supports thousands of phones and tablets so practitioners can communicate with patients on a whole new level. Boston Children's also made sure the system could flex and scale to handle medical advancements like robotic surgery and virtual reality for training and research. This was worlds away from how they had previously operated. This innovative work hasn't gone unnoticed, first by patients, but also by their peers. Boston Children's was a first place winner in the industry category at last year's unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business, an event that celebrates customers who've dared to innovate for the sake of innovation. If the Boston Children's story rings a bell with you, if your team has asked the same questions about building a better business solution, I encourage you to enter this year's awards. It's a great way to be recognized for smart, disruptive thinking in front of some of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. I'll save you a seat. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy to use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. We're back, and T-Bone has another new song to play for us called Out of Nowhere, another number from the Roy Rogers and Dale Evans musical he's writing for. This is the song I realized I needed a song to introduce Roy. I, yes. I didn't really have a powerful number to, to introduce him. And as I said, the, the guy who played him, Leonard Sly, was a, was a soulful, beautiful cat. He wasn't at all like the swashbuckling cowboy. You know, he was, he was different. And so I wanted to write something from inside him, not, not about him. Yes. But for something that that he was feeling about his life and about where he came from. So this is a song called Out of Nowhere. Back to that idea you were talking about, about the way art happens, Yeah. right? Once you define a thing, you lose it. 
Yeah, it's hard. it's really hard. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard. That's right. Yeah. So I mean, it's it, it's. I think in retrospect, after the moment of inspiration, where the thing that wants to be revealed is revealed, and we know we like it. Yeah. Then we can maybe try to figure out why we like it. And then, you know, and then yeah. it's okay. Yeah. But I think the other way around is very difficult. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I don't know if it even happens. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, what I, don't I think know. artists do, I think all really artists do, is we're we're going down a road and we 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 mark things. We say, at this day I was at this place and I saw this thing and it was beautiful. Yes. And so I'm going to mark this so that maybe you don't miss it when you're yes. going by. If that's I think that's the real the real journey of an artist you yeah know. i can remember um seeing um french impressionist paintings of uh trees in the french countryside and thinking it's a very strange decision that that the artist is making you know putting all these different blotches of color to make the tree it's it's very poetic and beautiful but it's you know what what a wild imagination and then I went to France, and I saw the trees, and it's like, oh, that's what they actually look like. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, right. it, it, it see, like the, the lyrics of songs hit us in this sort of poetic, magical way, when often if we hear the story of them, they turn out to be very ordinary yeah, right. descriptions of what really happened. Yeah, right on. It's, I guess maybe it's the information that's left out that makes them seem so magical. Yeah, I think that's right. I do think that's that's an interesting observation. I do yeah. think that's right. In this song that you just sang, the hook has a repetition of a phrase. The first song you played did not have that. Right. Isn't it interesting that when writing words, that certain words can be repeated often, and it feels really good. And other words, you repeat them, and it feels like you can never repeat them. Right. Some things become a chant. Yeah. And they've fallen really naturally. Yeah, it's the melody of the thought. It's yeah. the melody of the, of, the, of the expression. Yeah, maybe becomes, the phrasing as well, the, yeah. the, way it, the, the way they work rhythmically. So you're interesting. Pretty, you're pretty good at this. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's very interesting. Yeah. Never thought of it at all. Me either. I'm thinking of it right now. <laughs> oh, I was really? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's wild. Part of the conversation. Good. It's what's coming out from listening to the songs. Like, Excellent. How does that work? How do we do that? I've, I've noticed the difficulty in it, but I've never thought about why. Yeah. But that one, this one here, I don't know. That's just something that became very important to me, that idea. And it was important in, in context. It was important for Roy Rogers because he, for him, everything just happened out of nowhere. Yes. Right? Yeah. So it was important for him to embrace that idea. And, yeah. and But then it happened. I mean, the Raising Sand record happened out of nowhere. Yeah. Right? Just I think the best, did, things do. Daddy... the best things do. Yeah, that's yeah, right. They really do. They're not. They're not. They're not conceived or no. exactly. They're just. Uh, yeah. They're helped into existence. Yeah, loved, and, and loved into yes, existence. And, and the intention behind them is a beautiful intention. Yeah. Um, but the intention didn't control it happening. It's right. more like maybe it allowed it allowed it yeah. to be revealed. Maybe got maybe just got it rolling in the first place. Yeah. Right? And also. In the first song, if we were making a record together and if I was producing it, I would have suggested repeating the tag at the end of the first ah, piece. I'll do that next well, time. Well, it depends, though, because 
in the context of it, and I was specific about if we were making a record together, it would be the the purpose of the song would be different than the way it would be in a play. Oh, that's right. So like in a yeah. play, I don't know. Like yeah, I'm right. just thinking about it. It's like yeah. st- the structure in a play might be different than a normal song structure. It wants to accomplish a different purpose. And and we won't know until we get it up and we're playing 100%, it for people. 100%. Yeah. yeah, I think the idea of, of making art, like you were saying earlier about on the Raising Sand album, the stakes got high and then it changed because there was an expectation. I, I like to say, and I have said it before to, to artists that I've worked with, is when we're making these things, the audience comes last. That's what I think, too. I <laughs> yeah. agree. I agree. Yeah. I, don't, I don't believe you can do it for the audience. No, because I, I, I don't think we're... I know that if we can make something that we like, there's a better chance that someone else is going to like it than right. if we make what we th- that we don't like, but we think someone else is going to like. Yeah, that seems impossible. That's that's one of the problems with you know working in television is there's a there are a lot of people that think they know what the audience wants, and they're always trying to get you to do the thing the audience wants. And television's a big collaborative medium. And, you know, I, I love to collaborate, and I love to collaborate with large groups, but you, it is, it's a process of, it's not a process of, of starting with the audience and then working backward. Not at all. It's not, all. Not if you want to make something good. Right. And, and what audiences like is something good. Absolutely. So your real, your real obligation or responsibility to the artist is to make a thing you really love. 100%. That's, if you do that, yes. then you, there's a really good chance they'll really love it yes. as well. Hopefully. Hopefully. So hopefully. I, I, at least your best chance. Yeah, at least you got a chance. Yeah. And, and I feel like an, as a record producer, I often feel like a proxy for the audience. Me too. Same. Right. Same. That's. Um, the, I'm not really a musician, so all all I am is a a glorified fan. You know, listener. that's really what I am. Well, you're a listener. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. I listen and I try to understand. I can tune into what pulls me into something, and what pushes me away, yeah. and I just really trust whatever that is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're, I don't. I never know why. Yeah, but you you've learned to trust your instincts. And 100%. That's a, that's a valuable that's a valuable thing. Mm-hmm. Most people don't. That's one of the things one of the things an artist has to know how to do is trust his instinct. All the best art is second nature. It's made by second nature. It's not made consciously in that way. That's why I say artists the artist role is the the goal of art is to create conscience, not consciousness. Yeah. You know? It's to create. It's to create the thing where you feel the the thing, where you where you empathize, where you say, yeah, yeah that's right, yeah. that's true, or that's beautiful. You don't do that. That's not a conscious decision. It's a it's an internal, instinctive, instinctual decision. Yeah, I there was something that I um I noticed relatively early in in the working with different artists that that was interesting was um one of the bands I worked with was called Slayer, heavy metal band very uh one of the inventors of black metal or you know like very yeah. very aggressive metal and um and the lyrics were really dark and heavy and to some people they would look at that as negative content and then i would go to a concert and i would see an arena full of kids who were very much like the guys in slayer who 
were so filled with joy listening to this music. It was speaking directly to them. It completely was uh, nourishing them. Right. Kumbaya would not have reached them. It would have just made them angry. Yeah. So it's like, it's almost like beyond what the actual content is. It's more like, how does what whatever the art is resonate with other people? And, you know, I, I personally don't like to see horror movies. I don't like to see images of violence at all, horror or violence or anything. So I, I almost never go to the movies other than maybe documentaries. But for some people, that experience of feeling the thrill, they really, that really moves them. They like it. But again, I don't, I don't know that there's a, there's not a right and a wrong, and there's not a positive and a negative in it. It's more like um, it really is w- what entertains people and whatever stuff happened in their life that led them to a place where this darker thing speaks to them. In their case, it's it's healing to hear it. They don't. They feel less alone. Right. Yeah. That's right. That's you know the I've called my new. But the new stuff I'm working on with Kephas and Jay, I've called it the invisible light, and I feel that it's because of that very thing you're talking about. Because the the what it's say, the words are very dark. The yeah. world it's talking about is yeah. very dark. But if you listen into it, there's a great deal of light, invisible light. Yes, right, beautiful. But you have to find your way into it. If you just if you just take it all at face value, or yeah. if you try to approach it pedantically, yeah. you'll just say, "Well, this is this is a dark, dark world." Well, it is a dark world, but there's also, you know, <laughs> there though uh, there's all of that. There's the ocean and the trees and yeah. the sky. And I think it's all it, it, it it's all like like I said earlier. I think it's all just a reflection of what's going on. You know, it's like right. that's right. There's there's a there's tremendous beauty in the world and there's really bad stuff going on and and all of that warrants being reflected back it's interesting you know i was i've been going around recently and most of the music i'm hearing in in supermarkets and department stores and those things just going around life Mm -hmm. most of it that i'm hearing is from the 1960s and i've and i've I'm, i'm curious about that because the 1960s were maybe the last time there was this sort of exuberance about art like i was at whole foods the other day and they were playing good loving and i want to hold your hand and those kinds of songs and it was a it it lightened the feeling in the in the place and and there really hasn't been that particular aspect of music since the 1960s that i can think of no and it's also uh it's also a time beyond what the lyrical content was when the industry was still small and the stakes were low yeah that's and, right. and the people making that music probably were making it for themselves or for their friends or for you know the high school dance they weren't making it to uh sell out arenas because right. nobody had done that there you know, wasn't that an was, arena to play in, yeah. exactly the um it, everything it seems that anything when it starts it's small and has beautiful intention and integrity in it and then when it gets big and a lot of people are involved that just dissipates just in any any organization this is one of the reasons i love 
as a producer, I love making records with first records with artists because you're dealing with an artist who's been working under complete autonomy for a number of years. And he doesn't have experts telling him what the audience wants, for instance. Yes. So I've had very several very successful first records with artists that yeah. were tremendous fun, and I still love today because because of that. They're not they're unself conscious. Yes, no baggage. Right. Yeah. yeah. I've I, you know I've I've worked with both artists for the first time, many artists and many successful artists, and it's, uh, you know existing artists, and it's definitely true that with a new artist, there's a freedom of how is this going to work? Whereas with the, with the established artists, there's also often a lot of bad habits to have to unlearn. Yeah. The, yeah. Just playing in front of 20 or 30,000 people will create does some bad habits. Does something to your brain. Well, it makes you, it may, it can make you be too broad. Yeah. And in the studio, this, you know, the studio is like a is like a film, you know. You, like you you get right in on a person. You're close. You're right by them. You're, you're you know they're singing in your ear. Yeah. And in a, in a large concert, you know, it's like a theater. It's a yeah. like, you're, you're projecting out into the last row. Yes. So it's a very different it's a very different discipline, and playing for large crowds and having to gin them up night after yes. night can really give you some bad habits. On the other hand, working with seasoned artists can be absolutely the best because they're absolutely. because they're just good. Absolutely. You know? I was going to say in when um, you mentioned the work that I did with Johnny and a lot of the a lot of especially in the beginning when we started working together it was getting him to perform the songs less yeah right <laughs> you right know, yeah sell the songs just less. to tell it just tell me the story and i said i'm yeah. sitting right here next to you and then we were sitting on a couch just sing me this just tell me the story of the song you yeah. don't have to perform it and and there's recordings because the tape was rolling all the time and he would always say to himself get off stage cash get off stage <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he was a character, wasn't Great he? Guy. What a loss, tremendous loss Beautiful that was. Being. Yeah. Beautiful. Was. He was amazing. Yeah. I think he would have been, uh, anything he would have done would have been good. Yeah, that's Cause right. Because it, it was him. It wasn't, yeah. wasn't that he was the best musician or the best singer. It was he showed through what he made. He chose that. But anything he would have chose would have been great. You know, Sam Shepard and I were doing a play up in New York uh, tooth of crime and he called me up to to write music for it and i was at a time in my life when i couldn't i didn't know what music was anymore i couldn't tell why one note should be here and another note should shouldn't be there you know every note was the same and no notes were even notes i, I was <laughs> i was letting i was letting go of the idea of pitch entirely and just working purely off tone and i was at sea and I said, and we were sitting in a theater somewhere, and I and I said to Sam, you know, I don't even know what music is anymore, man. And he said, well, when you do it, that's what it is. And that was a, that was the most freeing thing anybody great. ever said to me in my life. Great. And 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 that's what I think. That's the thing we can help artists get to that point. I want to help other artists with with that same that same vote of confidence or that same uh, lack of 
questioning. We'll be back with more of Rick's conversation with T-Bone after this. As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Hello, hello. Malcolm Gladwell here from Revisionist History, my podcast about the overlooked and the misunderstood. A couple of years ago, I wrote a book called Outliers. It was about exceptional people, the ones who operate at the outer edges of human performance. Outliers fascinate me. And last year, I discovered an outlier in the form of a community organization, Washington State's City of Bellevue. The city wanted to improve public safety by making their roads safer, So they created something that no one had ever built before, a platform that gave road users warnings of any dangers ahead in real time. How did they build it? By using a combination of technologies, the cellular vehicle-to-everything network, T-Mobile's 5G network, and 5G-connected cameras. People driving, bicycling, walking, running, can't forget people running, and people operating the transportation network now had a way to prevent crashes. It's been a huge success. The city of Bellevue earned first place in the community category at the T-Mobile for Business Unconventional Awards, an event that celebrates T-Mobile customers who've dared to innovate for the sake of meaningful change. If you're a T-Mobile for Business customer and your team has, like the city of Bellevue, innovated something really, really cool, I encourage you to enter. It's also a great way for outliers to be recognized in front of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. We're back with more Rick Rubin and T-Bone Burnett. What was your entry into music? 
I don't know any of it. I don't know. I mean, I've known you for so long, but that I, I know you as T-Bone Burnett. I don't yeah. know how you became T-Bone Burnett. Well, in my, my, int- my first entry into music was my parents had a great 78 collection. And I used to sit down and listen to all the Louis Armstrong records and Ella Fitzgerald, the song, the Great American Songbook records. Was this in Texas? Yeah, in Texas, in Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. And um, and and I I was I was moved by the way there was a song there was a Cole Porter song I think called Begin the Begin. Yeah. You know that tune and uh, and I'd listen to it and I'd be immediately transported to some tropical island somewhere and i was i was amazed at the way music could create place could create an atmosphere and an environment and you could close your eyes and i would no longer be in fort worth texas which was to me a great relief (laughs) fort worth at the time had a very low ceiling Mm -hmm. and it felt like it felt like anything that was happening in the world was happening somewhere far away and there was no way to get there. But music was a window or a door out into the, into these other places, into the world. And, um, and was that the, that wasn't the music of the day though? No, it wasn't. That was, that was old, you were listening to older, even then it was old music. Yeah, yeah, it was old music then. What was, what was the music of the day when you were young? Well, it was like Elvis Presley and, mm. and uh, Ricky Nelson. Mm-hmm. I loved Ricky Nelson. Mm-hmm. I loved, personally, I loved Ricky more than Elvis because mm-hmm. he was on television and he sang a great song every week. And I didn't, I didn't really understand Elvis. He seemed, he seemed broad to me, yeah. whereas Ricky was cool and understated. You know? yeah. So I, my, my aesthetic sort of went that direction. I learned to, to appreciate Elvis, of course, much more later yes. when, I, when I got... When I got way into the, especially that stuff he did with Sam Phillips, yeah, who was also, wasn't Sam Phillips a great inspiration to you? I mean, I, Absolutely. I feel like, you know, he was a guy who, like you, didn't recognize race boundaries. He was a, he was a, Sam Phillips was a great civil rights leader, actually, you know. He had the first all-woman radio station, WHER, in Memphis, and he brought, he brought Helen Wolf into the studio when Helen Wolf might have scared the pants off of most white people at the time. I mean, yeah. he was a big, yeah, tough, yeah. strong yeah. black man in the South. And but he, but Sam embraced him and embraced Ike Turner and brought all these incredible musicians into the studio and opened up the the world to them and them to the world. You know, absolutely. And I admire that you've done very much the same thing. You you just you've crossed those boundaries. Yeah, you know? Just naturally, though, it's like I, I I have eclectic tastes, and I again I follow my taste. And it's yeah. not uh, there's no political underpinnings. No, but, <laughs> you know, it's but just we I'm, also we also had Sam. Yeah, you know, to to start it start it that way. Yeah, and John Hammond before him. Yeah, even, right? John Hammond, incredible. John Hammond was a uptown New York establishment guy who went down to the village and found Billy Holiday and you yeah. know music's always done that though music the thing Tony Bennett you know has a art school and he says the great thing about art and he's a good painter he's a very good painter but he says the great thing about art is you're either good or you're not good and it doesn't matter where you're from or what what your ethnicity is or any of that it's just good or not good and, yeah. and it feels like the the um the relationships that I have with artists have have nothing to do with anything other than 
our love of music. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter yeah. where they're from or what the background is or right. it doesn't matter. It's not, right. That's, that's right. not we're not talking about that. You know, that's we're right. talking about music. That's right. Yeah. And we're either on the same page or not, and that's all. And that's good too. Like whether we are or not, it's all, all yeah, fine. That's good. <laughs> you know, exactly. Like, I'm not trying to uh, convince anybody of anything. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Willie Dixon. I worked, got to work with Willie Incredible. Dixon. And one of the things he would say is, "If that's the way you like it, I like it." Yeah. And I loved that. Yeah. That's that's generous. That's a deep generosity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. So beautiful. And he was okay. So so Elvis is on the radio and Ricky Nelson's on the radio. Yeah. You're listening to 70 big band 78s. Yeah, stuff like that. Uh, what was your first uh music related gig? Uh and your first instrument. Oh, well, you know, I was I one day I was at a friend's house and there was a Gibson guitar much like this one mm-hmm. leaning against a wall and I hit the E string. I went like that and I went, "Oh, Oh, and it just just something about hitting that one note was like a key that unlocked a door that is that led me through my whole life. And once I started playing guitar when I was about twelve, I started listening to guitar players, and I, that's when I you know I learned how to play Wildwood Flower yeah. by the Carter family, yeah. which Maybelle Carter is essentially the mother of rock and roll guitar. You know, every every rock and roll guitar player I know learned to play Wildwood Flower first, or very soon thereafter, and so I started listening to the Carter family. And I started listening to Hank Williams and that stuff because it was on the radio. And there was a lot of interesting pop music. There was Peggy Lee was interesting at the she time in the 50s. She was really killer great. Yeah. And then the Beatles happened, you know, yeah. and that changed everything. That that really did. That changed the world. I, I look at those I look at those clips now, the Beatles uh, playing for audiences of young girls and the girls are screaming and some of them look like they're screaming at a horror movie and i and i feel like there was that mo- there was that confluence of events of the kennedy assass the first kennedy assassination and the beatles coming out in the wake of that that was was once again them metabolizing yeah it was a it was them yeah it was a catharsis and them mythologizing this horror for us in in a in a beautiful way and and singing these joyful songs in the wake of this of this tra- great tragedy, yeah. tremendous tragedy. And again, all unintentional. Yeah. You know, none, none of these, like again, looking back, we can see you can, this yeah. happened and this was a, re- we can call it a reaction, yeah. but I don't think it, it was a intellectual reaction. Not at all. No, it just no, happened. Nobody was connecting the two at the time, no. but I think in retrospect, yeah. it's hard not to connect yeah, them, it's, right? Yeah, it's fascinating. Right. It's fascinating. So, yeah, so those... Those things. I mean, sometimes we can see around corners. I know you see around corners occasionally, and you th- you think, "Oh, I see where this fits and this works." I've I've had that happen a couple of times, but most of the time, I certainly didn't with raising sand, for instance. Yeah. I didn't see around that corner. I yeah. just thought, "This is something to do." It's just cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. These two sound good together. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> But uh, so you and know, did you join? Did you join a band? Yeah. Then I, at that point, the 
I was already I was already in a little band and we were playing mostly surf music at the time because I got an electric guitar, I got a melody maker, playing flat flat wound strings on a melody maker, and there were all those great surf tunes that had they were all in the big string. Oh, I left out Jimmy Reed, who Jimmy Reed for me was that's actually probably ground zero. That's mm. after I learned uh, Maybell Carter, I learned Jimmy Reed, and then. That opened up a whole other world of R and B, deep yeah, R and B, and and how, how old were you about this time? Probably twelve or thirteen, great. you know. And the Beatles, actually, one of the things I loved about the Beatles was they sounded like Jimmy Reed. They played the low strings on the guitar. They played flat wound strings on the bottom of the guitar, like Jimmy Reed. Mm-hmm. And and he and he also it was also just the groove, you know, the pocket you yeah. could. They played in a similar pocket to him. I, I feel like they must have listened to him. Uh, I certainly, I uh, once I got into Jimmy Reed, I devoured everything. Everything I learned every possible song, mm-hmm. and Chuck Berry. Yeah, that's the uh, that was the, the other the, guy. The, the swing of the Beatles is undeniable. Yeah, people don't really talk about it because yeah, the they, songs are so good. <laughs> Ring, yeah, yeah, the songs are killer. But yeah. you know, and Ringo was. You know, he played with Sister Rosetta Tharp when he was the house drummer. Yeah, when he was the house drummer at the Cavern Club, he played with all the R and B acts that would come through. So he got a real he he had a he's probably just innate with him, but he swung so hard. And I was watching Ron Howard's documentary of Eight Days a Week yes. about the Beatles, yes. and I realized. Oh, the three geniuses up front were killing, but Ringo was supplying was incredible. He, all the electricity was coming out of Ringo. Absolutely. He was blowing everybody's mind Absolutely. without us even knowing it. Yes. Now looking back on it, after all these years of yeah. of listening yeah. to everything, I can I can see it. At the time, I couldn't. I why well, I knew I I love the way he. <laughs> I love the way he attacked his hi hat, for instance. Yeah, you know, he just had it kind of going solid. It wasn't. Yeah. It was shh, you know. So that supplied a lot of electricity and excitement. But also just his, just his. Yeah, he put his whole self. Yeah, into his you thing. Yeah. You know, he would hit the bass drum. He'd go boom. You know, just like kill it. And the other cats were killing it too. But he was just he was the really electric part of it. I thought and. But so yeah, so when that happened, then then you know, oh, the other guy before the Beatles was Buddy Holly, yeah. who they also wanted to be. Yeah, you know, we were playing. And Buddy. he was also from Texas. So, yeah. So was there this feeling of yeah, like, definitely. He was one of the cats that that made me feel like, oh, I can get out. Of, I can get out from under this low ceiling. Yes. Because if Buddy Holly could do it. Yes. You know, it's it's possible. Yeah. That was T-Bone Burnett talking with my co-host Rick Rubin at Shangri-La in Malibu. His new album, Invisible Light, Acoustic Space, is out now and available wherever you get your music. You can also visit our website to find a Spotify playlist for the album and also a playlist for some of our favorite T-Bone productions. Broken Record is produced by Justin Richmond and Jason Gambrell with help from Mia Lobel, Jacob Smith, Julia Barton, and Jacob Weisberg. Special thanks to my co-hosts, Rick Rubin and Bruce Hadlam. Our Broken Record theme music is by the great Kenny Beats. Be sure to check out his new album with rapper Rico Nasty. Also be sure to check for next week's episode with Linda Perry. 
She talks with Bruce about being the first woman nominated for Producer of the Year at the Grammys in 15 years. That's next week. For Pushkin Industries, I'm Malcolm Gladwell. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. This is your chance to reignite some old musical passions or pick up an instrument for the first time. Connect with more than 100 of the world's best teachers and musicians. You'll get seven days totally free to try it out. And then it's just $30 a month, less than a single private lesson. I mean, why do we do Broken Record? Not just because we love hearing from great musicians. We do it because we think that there is something beautiful about the appreciation of music. Don't you think we need more of that in our lives these days? That's the mission of Musora to inspire, educate, and connect musicians. Enjoy unlimited personal support, weekly live streams, student lesson plans. It's like having a personal music teacher, only much, much better. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com, to start a new musical journey today. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there.